Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you? I'm doing great, Tim. How are you? I'm doing well today, and we just came from ASOC, and that was an absolute blast. We will have some audio to play for you at some point, and we'll talk more in depth about it on a later episode. But today, we have a really heartfelt interview with Dinah Street, who is Danielle Sleeper's mom. Danielle Sleeper went missing in March of 2015 from Magnolia, Texas, and we spoke with her mother a few weeks ago after she contacted us through Bruce Maitland's private investigations for the missing website. So she reached out to find out if there was anything that we could do to help her find her daughter or to bring some answers. And we had a great conversation that night. It was a conference call and we had we had Dinah on, Dinah's husband, and some members of the family that have been looking into the disappearance as well. Yep, Jalen, yep. Yep, and we scheduled the interview with Dinah, and like you said, it's super heartfelt. This woman just wants to find her daughter, and she really doesn't have a lot of problems saying whatever comes to her mind. She has that Texas attitude, and she really will put herself out there in order to bring something, some sort of closure for her daughter. So Danielle is 5'7 and 130 pounds. Her date of birth was May 17th, 1982. And if you have any information on Danielle's disappearance or her whereabouts, please contact Montgomery County Sheriff's Office at 936-760-5876. Okay, and we have a few announcements here before we play the interview with Dinah. And we want to tell you that we have really revamped and relaunched our Patreon page at patreon.com slash crawlspacepodcast. We're delivering weekly videos, true crime news segments, some more personal stuff than ever, Lance. It's been a lot of fun. And if you're following us on any one of the social media platforms, you've definitely seen the posts that we've put up about the Patreon page. So from those personal moments that you spoke of, some some crime of the week stories to outtakes of our ad reads, our our completely ridiculous Madison Reed and etc. ad reads, you can get that exclusive content. And you can also get exclusive content to a live show and a VIP meet and greet after whenever we do live shows. So it's going to be worth it. And we're trying to really put together something special in order to make people know that they're pledge is going to the right place so check out our patreon it's a lot of fun and you can just buy us lunch over there basically also we are on stitcher premium lance if you are a new subscriber here to crawl space this show has actually been going since february of 2017 and our entire archive is on stitcher premium so check that out at stitcherpremium.com and use code mmm that stands for missing mora murray that is another podcast that we do where you'll find a lot of stuff on stitcher premium for that podcast as well including these really interesting creator commentaries that we've been doing. Yep, the creator commentaries are awesome, and they just cover the early days of Missing More Murray, you and I talking over it, giving new information, updates, and also making fun of ourselves a little bit. And Lance, we're going to Nashua, New Hampshire on May 22nd at 6 p.m., at the Riverwalk Cafe, we are performing. We're doing a live crawl space missing Brianna Maitland show with you and me, with Chloe from True Crime Twins. More on that in a moment. With Bruce Maitland, Brianna Maitland's dad, and Greg Overacker and Lou Barry, who were on the show uh, just a couple weeks ago. Those two are investigating Brianna's disappearance, and between the two of them, they've been investigating it for about 13 or 14 years, so they have a really good idea of the information that's come their way, new leads, and a great relationship with Bruce. And it was really cool that Bruce agreed to do this live show. So if you're in the area or if you're not in the area and you want to make a trip out there, it's May 22nd on a Wednesday, 6 p.m., like you said, Riverwalk Cafe. You can get tickets by going to crawlspace-media.com. You'll see the little promo there right on the homepage. Click on that. It'll lead you to brown paper tickets where you can purchase your tickets for $12. And if you're a patron of the $20 level we'll do a little vip meet and greet before or after the show i can't wait to meet the vip patrons and really just everyone who supports our shows over there at the riverwalk cafe it's gonna be a lot of fun and uh, chloe Cantor lance has launched a new podcast in association with crawl space media with her sister her twin sister melina and the show is called true crime twins lance and it is available on stitcher and on apple podcasts and you can subscribe right now they just covered the case of faith hedgepeth 
and they told us the next two or three episodes that they are working on, and it's going to be very cool and it's very it's exciting, a very good response so far. And CrimeCon, Lance, we're going to CrimeCon in June in New Orleans, and if you want to see us there, use code CRAWLSPACE19 when you register, and you'll get 10% off on the CrimeCon.com website. And that is June 7th, 8th, and 9th. New Orleans, no better time to be there. No better time to hang out with your true crime podcasting buddies. We will see you there. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're there. And if you follow us on Instagram or Twitter, we'll follow you right back. So thank you very much for listening, everybody, and hope you enjoyed this interview with Dinah Street. And if you have any information, please do the right thing. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. We are being joined via the phone by Dinah Street. How are you today, Dinah? I'm doing good. And thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we are talking about your your daughter, uh, Danielle Sleeper. Can you tell us a little bit about her to start off with? Danielle is my uh, second daughter, our, our second child. She is a mother of three young boys. Her oldest child is 15. Her second son is 14. And then she has a six-year-old son. Um, her oldest two children are from her previous her first marriage. And then she has her third son is from the marriage uh, with Austin. Our daughter has been missing for four years as of March 22nd. She's she's a very loving and caring person. She was a very good mother. Um, Danielle was, I can remember when her oldest child was born and I went over to visit with her and she just started crying. She just kept saying, I can't believe that he's mine, so to speak. Danielle was a very loving and caring mother and she um was to stay home. She didn't work. She took care of her kids and took, you know, took them to games and, and, you know, tried to be a big part of their life and, and sports and stuff like that. She was crying when you went over and to visit her after she had her first child. Is that what she said? And she was, she just, she couldn't believe that she brought a, a, another human being into the world. Yeah. It was just really cool. I mean, you know, I know we, we women go through our emotions up and down after having children, but it was just, it was just, it was awesome. She just couldn't believe that little child was hers, all hers, you know? That's really sweet. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And she was, you know, she was very, uh, um, she was like that with each one of her children, but I just, that just stuck in my mind and has for years that uh, his name was Colton and it was just, you know, a joy for her to have him. So uh, whereabouts do you uh, do you live, and, and uh, yeah, what part of the country? We're here in Texas, uh, Houston, to be a. And my daughter lived in a small area called Magnolia, which is just you know like an outskirts of Houston. Okay. And let's see, Danielle's thirty three at the time she disappeared, and she, like I said, she was a stay at home mom. She enjoyed doing kit things with her children. Uh, she was one of these kind of people, uh, you know, Danielle was the kind of person that didn't know a stranger at all. She, uh, she loved making and introducing herself to people and getting to know them. And, uh, you know, she didn't, she didn't talk badly about people. She was very good with trying to find the good in folks. I can remember one time um, when she was a little girl, we were at the church that we were attending there was one little girl that uh, was in a wheelchair. She was wheelchair bound. And of all the children in her class, Danielle attached herself to her and did everything for her, you know, just wanted to be there and support her and, and help take care of her and, you know, anything that she needed. And she was pretty much that way with all the, you know, the people that she went around. Um, she had a friend that she didn't know very well, uh, it, older when she got in her adult life she had uh, when Danielle went missing lots of people 
came up to me and, and called us and reached out to us and was telling all the things that Danielle would do and did. Uh, one friend mentioned that her child, her newborn child, had been taken from her by the father. So Danielle, not knowing this girl that well, but she went to court with her, sat during all the court proceedings uh, so that she could be a support to this girl to the judge getting her permission to, you know, to get the child back. And Danielle drove with her. It was about a three-hour drive to Midland, Odessa, uh, Texas. And Danielle went with her and helped her to get her child back and came back and, you know, supported her that way. She said she couldn't believe, not knowing each other very well, that Danielle stood with her all the way there and back. This was something that was pretty common with Danielle. She would reach out and help people that yes. needed needed help. My sister-in-law, or no, her, my cousin, or my, her cousin, I'm sorry, it was her cousin, uh, had trouble with her pregnancy and had to be bedridden. Danielle would go to her home and comb her hair, wash her hair, do her nails and fingernails and, you know, just sit with her for day, for hours during the day until her husband got home from work. Um, she would take her to the doctor appointments when it was needed. Uh, after Michelle had her baby, uh, he had to stay in the hospital, but she was able to come home. And Danielle would go over there and pick her up and take her to the hospital and wait for her to visit with her child and then bring her home. Now, this was because her husband had to work. These were things that Danielle did and didn't think much of it. It was it was something that she enjoyed doing. She was just that kind of person, you know? Yeah, she sounds like a really thoughtful person, and uh, and I'm sorry that uh, that you don't have her in your life at this point. So can you tell us about her relationship with her uh, her second husband, Austin? Austin. She was, she'd known Austin. They met each other back when she was in high school. And they were just friends at the time. They didn't have any, you know, relation going on. And when her situation with her first husband, when she left him, she ended up kindling a relation with Austin. They had been together for probably four, maybe five years, I think. Uh, or no, maybe not that long, maybe about three or four years. Uh, she'd been with Austin, and then they ended up getting married. And after that is when she got pregnant with Hagen. Austin, just to kind of give you a, a picture of this person, um, he's about six foot, six foot one. He weighed about 350 pounds. Big old guy. Big old man. And Danielle weighed, you know, she's about five foot eight, and she weighed about 125, 130 pounds. So there's a big difference in their sizes. Yeah. And uh, she, uh, he would not, he was, he, in their starting of their relation, he was kind of a laid back kind of guy, and, and or he came across as being laid back, let me put it that way. But Danielle, I remember one time after she had had Hagen, uh, I went to the grocery store with her, and she didn't like to go grocery store. She didn't like to go to the grocery store and shop because whatever she brought home, he would get, she would get the right after with him. She, he didn't like any of the things that she bought, and it, and it progressively got to be that kind of relation as, as they, you know, longer they were together. He got very uh, aggressive. And sounds like kind of controlling. Yes, very controlling. Very. Uh, she didn't like to go grocery shopping because it really, she had a lot of anxiety from it whenever she'd bring things, buy things for the kids, you know, for school lunches and things like that. He, he put a lot of pressure on her there. Uh, the home, he put a lot of pressure on their home. Uh, Daniel was, a, she was, a, what they, uh, I'm trying to remember what, she had a, she, she, she liked to keep things straight and clean and neat. That was one way she kept her home. And he wasn't, he wouldn't allow her to do the way she liked to do the home. He wanted it done the way he wanted it done. That was one of the other things that was starting to change in their relationship. Did you ever notice or witness any physical abuse, any physical signs of abuse? No, not that I could see. Okay. It wasn't anything that was visible on the outside, but you could tell Danielle was shutting down, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Getting more quieter. Yep. Danielle's first husband was that kind of person as well. Very controlling, very demanding of her. And when she divorced him and, and left him, he 
really kept trying to control the situation with her then. And so she went into this other relationship with Austin, and it started out great, but then it started getting progressively worse as well. It's pretty uh, typical of abusive relationships, whether they're physical or emotional or both. It always starts off one way, but that's what manipulators do. They're able to fool the person. So it sounds like that's what Austin was at the least, right? Yes. He got angry one time. Uh, They had been drinking, or he had been drinking. Danielle didn't drink that much. And I won't say she didn't because she did. I know that. (laughs) But he had gotten drunk. His anger would get worse when he had liquor. And to the point one time that he ripped off the door of a refrigerator they had in their home. Had to get a new refrigerator because of that. Yeah, I remember you told us that on the phone. I've been thinking about that. It's uh, what, what the heck kind of force does that take to do? I actually looked at my refrigerator when we talked about that, and I was just like, "How do you do that? Uh, how in the world do you do that?" Yeah, it didn't take much for him to set him off. Okay, you know, whenever we were in a group together, she was very passive, more so than what she normally was. Danielle was a very outspoken person. She was very alive and laughed. Oh, gosh, if you got her into a room, if she walked into a room and it was quiet, it didn't stay quiet for very long. (laughs) She was just that kind of uh, energy in in a group of people. And she would love to play with her kids. She'd get out in the, uh, she'd take them to these places that they do trampolines, you know, the indoor trampolines where they have the big uh, bouncy areas and floats that kids can get into. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Sure. She'd get in there and be one of the kids. That was <laughs> just her personality. Can you tell us about the barbecue and uh, what happened on March 22nd, 2015? Yes. The, well, I'll take you a day. I have to take you a day before that. Okay. Danielle had her older two children were taken from her by CPS. They were accusing, or her ex was accusing him of endangerment to a child or you know he the children went to the father's house for visitation and uh there were hand marks or so the father said and I you know I didn't personally see it so I can't swear by it but there were hand marks on the middle child's rear end and so they had taken him to the emergency room CPS called out and they ended up taking her two boys and because she was still living in the home with Austin the only way she could see her children was through visitations, and this was every other week. And Danielle did not miss her visitations. She was there every Saturday morning. She was there to see her children. Her Saturday was that Saturday, the 21st. It was her Saturday to go see her kids. And she'd missed the one before that because she was sick. Friday night, she had called me up, and she would come stay with me, and I would watch Hagen, her youngest child, while she went to see her kids because we weren't too far from where the visitation was in Conroe. So she told me she was going to bring Hagen, stay the night, and go over there the next morning because she had to be there early. And I got a call, I guess it was about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. She was supposed to come over and she called me up and it was raining that night. And she said that she wasn't going to come. She was going to stay at home, but she was out shopping with Austin to get some things to do with the kids at the visitation. And guys, that's the last time I talked to her. She told me that um, she was going to get up and go see him in the morning. And um, from what I was told afterwards, after we started investigating and looking into where she was and what was going on, the friend's home that she had was at on Saturday, Megan was her name, she told me that Danielle had told her that she woke up Saturday morning missing her visitation time. And Danielle was one of these kind of people that set four or five alarms. You know, the, the bed alarm, the phone alarm, the kitchen alarm, everything that she could think of to get up. She claimed that Austin had turned the alarms off so she wouldn't wake up. Because she would have had to leave her house at least an hour to almost an hour and a half to get over there. And she woke up. At the time that uh, the doors closed, in other words, she couldn't, she wouldn't be able to get in after a certain time if she wasn't there before. So um, she was all upset, very, very upset with him. She got up and cleaned herself up and told him that she was going into town and Hagen was going to stay with him. She just needed to get out of the house and she was upset because she 
hadn't seen her boys this, you know, four weeks since she saw her children, her older two. And while she was in town, because they lived in an out-of-skirt type area, she would have to go into town and she went shopping. And while she was in town, she ran into her friend Megan. And her and Megan did the rest of their shopping and ended up going out to Megan's home. And Megan's husband at the time reached out to Austin to get everybody to come to their house. He's paralyzed from the waist down or he he couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair. So he said it would be easier if everybody just came to their home and have a barbecue. Okay. Charles called him and said, why don't you just bring everything over here? We'll do it at my house. Danielle's vehicle, she she had a, a Suburban, was at Megan's home because she had been in it that day and they dropped her her vehicle at her house. So Austin came over in his truck with their son. And so they had their evening, they did their barbecue, they did their visit, and then it got to be about 1, 1.30 in the morning, and then he wanted to go home, and Danielle didn't want to go home with him. She just did not want to leave the house. And from my understanding, from those that were there, that he got real belligerent with her, real angry with her, and got up in her face and got up in front in the baby's face. Hagen was still awake. He didn't want to go home with his dad either. And he started screaming, you know, you're my wife. You're going to go home with me. Uh, you know, get in the car kind of thing. And Danielle finally told him just, you know, because it was upsetting the son, Hagen, real bad. So she told him to go out and get in the car. She'd be out there shortly after she got all of her things together. There was a young man that was at the house that night that lived across the street. And he was sitting on his front porch watching them after Danielle and Austin had come outside. And apparently she got all of her her things together. And she ended up going home in his truck instead of driving her Suburban. She went home with him. Okay, so she left her, her Suburban at Megan's house. Right. And so they put Hagen in the truck, and apparently they got pretty loud out in the front yard, according to this other man, and they left. Together. Together in his truck. Again, this was this no one saw her after that. These are things that we had found out afterwards talking to the people that were there. Another friend of theirs had texted Danielle about four fifteen that morning asking if she was okay, you know, did they make it home all right? And she never responded back to him. And this was a text from somebody who was at the barbecue? Yes. Okay, so somebody at 4.15 in the morning thought that what had happened a few hours earlier at the barbecue between the two of them was significant enough to, to text at 4.15 or 4.30 in the morning, 4.15 in the morning. Yeah, 4.15, 4 I believe it's 4.15. Okay. Was Austin drunk during this uh, argument? All I was told is that he had six beers. Mm-hmm. But Danielle did not sleep with him. She slept on the couch, and that was a known fact. Uh, their marriage was already going downhill and had been for a while. She had been sleeping on the couch uh, previously. Yes. The next morning, there was no communication after that first text. And later that morning, I was reaching out to her to find out how her visitation had gone. I did not know that she did not see the kids Saturday morning. Right. I wasn't aware of it. So I was waiting Sunday. I started reaching out to her to see how everything went. Danielle was the kind of person that her phones went with her everywhere. Her plugs went with her everywhere. She would she would be what I would call the bag lady. Danielle had everything she owned would be in her bags, and she'd take them, her car. She just didn't leave home without these things. And she would always make sure that her phone was charged. Matter of fact, that night at Megan's home, she had her phone plugged in, and was charging it. So it was a good percentage of battery. So she had got her phone and she had all that with her. And so she got, uh, she never would respond back to me. Uh, Megan was trying to get a hold of her because the plan Sunday was that they would come back to the house, come back to Megan and Charles's home when they got up the next day. Danielle had gone shopping Saturday to get stuff to color her hair and Megan had gotten stuff to color hers. So they were going to trade off with each other. And Austin's plans that day were to go back. And two of the guys that were at the party, one of them's uncle had a bar. And they were going to go over there Sunday afternoon and help them move furniture around inside the bar. Danielle never did show back up. Megan kept trying to get her, you know, y'all can come on over. We're awake. You know, we're ready for company and through the morning. And Danielle never responded back to her. 
and Austin shows up at their home around 12, 1230 without her. He goes and picks up Charles and Smody is his name and went over to the bar where they were going to move stuff around. The whole time that he was there at this bar, he kept talking about how Danielle was unstable, how she was you know, acted bipolar and how she did this and did that. You know, she just, he just was trying to set a stage of an unstable type person, you know, trying to really make her look like she is, she wasn't all together there. Was this typical of Austin to, to tell people, right. Okay. He hadn't started doing this until right before she went missing. All of a sudden he started trying to make Danielle look like she was flippant, like she just couldn't, she was unstable. And so he was doing that Sunday afternoon. And he kept throwing out the word, you know, trying to tell everybody she was bipolar. Danielle was never, ever diagnosed as bipolar, ever. Danielle had, you know, she had attention deficit. And I diagnosed that when she was back in, you know, when she was a kindergartner. Danielle just didn't sit still. You know, she she was very uh, active. She just couldn't sit and watch a TV show or that kind of person. And that's not bad. You know, it's just someone that had attention deficit. Yep. And she'd even gotten better over the years. You know, it didn't affect her as much as she got older. But anyway, he kept telling them to let them know. He said, tell me when it's 3.30. Let me know when it's going to be 3.30. And they said he actually didn't even help with the furniture it was just kind of like it was a place for him to be and when they did tell him what time it was they said that he didn't do anything with that time he didn't call anybody he didn't leave he didn't do anything he's there helping them or he's there for the purpose of helping them move furniture in the bar and he wants to make sure that He's told that it's 3.30. Yeah. Yeah. And then once 3.30 rolled around, there was no reaction when it actually turned 3.30. That is very perplexing. I know. And that's what that's what bothered me a lot, too. Hmm. Not long after that, they did leave. And he went by and dropped off Bodie and Charles back at the trailer, back where they were had their little barbecue thing. And again, Danielle's car is still there. Her Suburban is still at the house, at Megan's home. So Austin drives them back to Megan's home. Mm-hmm. And the Suburban's still there. Did he make any comment? We'll, we'll pick this up in a little bit or something? Or He didn't tell them anything. When he left, their home was a good probably a good 30 to 45 minute drive. Okay. He left, went to another friend's home, got the, the man and wife, real good friends of his, very close knit friends of his, got in their vehicle and they brought him back to the, the home, Megan and Charles's home and picked up Danielle's suburban. Why did he go over to their home? Why didn't he go home and get Danielle? The man and his wife brought Austin back to the trailer to pick up the car. Well, Megan walked outside. Her friend walked outside and said, hey, you know, uh, where's Danielle? I've been trying to get her all day. I've been paging her and, you know, texting her, and I've not gotten any answers out of her. And his response is what threw me. She told me he looked at her and said, don't worry about it. She won't be coming back over here. Who said that? Austin? Austin said it to Megan. Okay, and how did she take that? Like, you're not going to be her friend anymore, so don't worry about it, or she took it more ominously, or? She just kind of looked at it and said, what do you mean she won't be coming back over here? I asked her, I said, did you ask him why he said that? And she said, yeah. And what his response back to her was, well, she makes friends, and, you know, she just drops them real easy. Guys, that is the most farthest thing in the world about Danielle's relationships with people. She enjoyed relationships. She enjoyed family, friends. She liked having her girlfriends. She liked being able to do things and go places. And her and Megan had only known each other for about two weeks. So, I mean, it was a very new relationship, a new friendship. That kind of uh, excuse or, or comment just didn't go at all. And so he got in the Suburban and took it back home. But the thing about it is the time window. After he dropped off Charles and Spody, he was back in an hour. That's how quick it took him to go to these people's home and come back over there. He could not have done that if he'd gone home. What you're saying is he only had time to leave there, go pick up these people. He did that so he could uh, get a ride. Exactly. His response to Megan doesn't make sense because he didn't have time to go home and even talk to Danielle. To even know if she was home or not. Were there only one set of keys for the Suburban and was it locked when it was in the driveway? 
No, he had a set of keys for this bourbon, too. Okay, and when you called, did it go right to voicemail, or did it ring? It did go to the voicemail. No rings, right to voicemail. Yeah, and Danielle was a very, like, she carried her phone everywhere. I mean, it wasn't like she would put it down and put it in her purse, and she had her phone in her hand most of the time, majority of the time. So for her not to respond and follow up was very unusual. And what is Austin's story, as far as you know it, when he left the barbecue with Danielle? This is the big missing piece. His story is that when he woke up Sunday morning, of course, Daniel was on the couch and that he didn't want to bother her because she didn't sleep very well. He left her on the couch sleeping Sunday morning and he loaded up his son, uh, Hagen, and took him over to his father's house to watch him while he went to Megan's and picked up Charles and Scotty and did what he was going to do. That would never in a million years have happened. One, Danielle's a, a, a light sleeper, especially after having children. Her son was a very active child, so he'd have been all over the house. There's no way she could have slept through Hagen in the mornings. He was just a very go-getter. Two things. Austin's father is an alcoholic, or was at the time, and Danielle did not like Hagen going over there. So she would not have allowed Austin to take Hagen over to the house, you know, when she could keep him. Mm-hmm. She also would not have let him leave her at home without a vehicle. When he took his vehicle, there was nothing left in the driveway. And if Danielle had woken up, this minute she woke up, she would have been calling either him and telling him to come and get her, or she would have called her friend Megan. And even to a point where she, if she couldn't get anybody else, she would have called me. She would not have woke up, got dressed, and went outside and left on foot. And everybody that knows her knows that Danielle would not have just, you know, walked out and started walking over. Drive-wise, it was 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Doesn't sound like she was going to walk over there. No. He claims that he left her at home sleeping and that he didn't want to disturb her. Do you know what around what time that was? What time of morning? And he left their home around 10, 30, 11 o'clock to go drop off Hagen. I'm a father. Like uh, you're not I, sleeping until eleven o'clock. <laughs> I don't think I've uh, I don't think I've slept till ten thirty uh, since my daughters have been born. So yeah, right. Since you knew you were going to be a dad. Yeah. No. But <laughs> Hagen and her were very very close. Danielle was a stay at home mom, and he would go to Danielle before he went to anybody, and he wouldn't let her sleep on the couch. It just wouldn't happen. She'd have been up. What's Austin's story about where she is or why she's missing? If he left her at home alone with no vehicle like where did she go is he trying to say that she just wandered off on foot he's claiming that he got home and she wasn't there he's saying she took her phone and keys with her i guess yes because they can't find her purse in her bag right because she had him with her that night so she left that morning on foot with exactly everything that she had the night before exactly yeah and danielle would have called someone to come pick her up he cannot account, officially account, his time from about 1.30 in the morning till about 12.30 that next uh, mid-morning. So there's about 10 hours that he cannot account time for. What about um, Hagen? I don't want to bring a, a three-year-old in, That's okay. into this, really. But So Hagen was with them all that yes. time. Do you have a relationship with Hagen at this point? I did. I, he probably doesn't know who I am today but because I haven't seen him in four years. Hagen has been... Isolated. Isolated by by Austin? Yes. When Danielle went missing, this is the other piece that nobody's digging into this stuff. And we've talked about this to the police and everything else. We've gone through this every time I've talked to him, every time we've reached out to the police. There is record of him texting his mother. Now, you have to remember, we're in Houston, Texas. His mother lived in Delhi, Louisiana, which is a seven-hour drive. He texted his mother around 11.30-ish Sunday morning before he, he, he dropped Hagen off and started saying, Hagen wants to come see you. He wants to come see the animals. Hagen hadn't seen his mother, his grandmother, other grandmother, in probably six, seven, eight months. Danielle didn't like him going, you know, she was not real comfortable with Hagen being dropped off at his mother's house by himself. Yeah, because it was so far away or because she was, yes. yeah. But she would not have just let his mother come pick him up and take him back. That would not have happened. Yeah, it seems pretty drastic. Three years old, she's not going to let him go running off when she could go with him. He texted her. He wanted her to come and pick up Hagen and take him back to her house. 
How, how do you know that, if you don't mind me asking? Did you see the, these texts, or? He told me that he had texted his mother. Okay. And we found out through another means, her conversation with another person, that he wanted Hagen to go back to Louisiana. And the reason was, he was afraid that he knew he was going to be going to jail. Now, why would he know this at 11.30 Sunday morning? Why would he know that he needed to get Hagen out of Texas? Why? Nothing had been reported to the police. Nothing had been, you know, supposedly she was not even missing. That's right. Yep. At that time. Why was he already getting his mother to come and pick up Hagen? Yeah, he had apparently just left Danielle sleeping on the couch an hour earlier. Exactly. And the deal was, as I said before, her out, her drive is seven hours. He did that. He set up to get his mother to come and pick up Hagen. That was put in place Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon, he was setting the pace on Danielle's stability. He didn't reach out to us, to her mom and dad and her sister, until Monday morning, 24 hours or more than 24 hours later. Did you guys have a uh, rocky relationship with Austin? We had a fine relationship with him. What was your reaction when he told you this on Monday? Monday morning, he called me around 8 o'clock in the morning, telling me, started telling me Danielle wasn't home. And he said, "I well, you know, and at the time, I didn't know all of this stuff had been going on. I said, have you called her friends? Have you talked to her sister? Have you checked around? Because this was not like her. He claims that she had done this behavior before where she'd just take off. And I'm thinking, why now? Why now are you reaching out? Why had you not reached out in the past? Why is everybody now finding out from Austin that she had a history of doing this? And why did you pick this time to start reaching out to people and calling? He'd never called me in the past. Danielle would have called here or would have come here first. Wow. He did not call her sister, who she was extremely close with. If Danielle was going anywhere, it would have been our house of Tana's. He only reached out to people that were close friends of his looking for her. Mm-hmm. None of the friends of hers. I didn't hear anything about her until Monday. Then I mentioned a friend of hers, and he goes, oh, yeah, let me call her. So, you know, these are people that Danielle was extremely close to. And his mother, when he did that, I waited. I I called her dad Monday morning at work because I was off that week. I had taken two weeks of vacation, and I was on my second week. He called me. Then he claims that he had been calling a few other people. I called my husband because where he worked at the time was a lot closer to Danielle's home than where I lived. Probably about 11 or so, 11 or 12 o'clock. He went on over there. He got he was able to get off work at that time. And he went out there to their home to find out what was going on. And Austin uh, at that time just told him that Danielle, he was looking for Danielle and trying to find her. And he said Hagen was still there at, the, at that time. He was still at home with Austin and running around and, and, you know, just being a kid. Well, Chuck had left because the school district out there was really bad, you know, when the schools were let out. So he didn't want to get caught up in all that traffic. He was not alarmed at that moment. He got home. My oldest daughter came by the house at that time and said, Mom, what's going on? What, you know, I just heard about Danielle. And I said, well, why don't you and Chuck go back out? Why don't you and your dad? go back out to Danielle's house and I'll stay here and see if we get any phone calls. And this was probably about three o'clock in the afternoon. So Tana and Chuck, sister and dad, drove out to their home. He left Austin's house, I guess it was about two o'clock in the afternoon. When he got back over there about four o'clock in the afternoon, Hagen was already picked up. Austin's mother had drove seven hours Monday morning, picked up Hagen, and turned around and drove seven hours back home. Wow, yeah, she didn't waste much time, huh? No. I mean, she she grabbed that child, loaded him up, and went home. So she wasn't, like, like halfway in between for a weekend or something? Like, like for that weekend? No. She, she drove the entire no. way, huh? She didn't come Sunday because she said she, he said, uh, made some comment about her having to take care of her animals before she left. Right, okay. Okay, so she shows up here Monday grabs Hagen and goes back home. I'm home all week. Why would he not reach out to me to watch the baby while he went looking for Danielle? Why did he have to shuttle uh, Hagen across state lines? Was it a quick pickup that she was there and just very quick? Yeah. And his mom was one of these that would come and stay. Yeah. 
she would she was not known to just turn around and go back home. At what point did you uh, start thinking that uh, that Austin's actions weren't adding up? It really wasn't until Monday night when my husband and my daughter went back over there. From what they were telling me and what they expressed to me was Austin's behavior. He was very nervous, is a mild word to put it. Very kind of frantic acting. And that wasn't normal for him. He was more, he always came across as being more, you know, laid back, calm. Mm-hmm. My daughter said that she saw he also is bald. He shaves his head. And she said there were fresh scratch marks on his head. Uh, the house was in disarray. Danielle was very, like I said, she had OCD. She was very neat. She always kept her home clean. The house was not that way. Okay. And so that was different. And uh, the scratches on his head, was it was had he had just shaved his head and it could have been from a razor or it was... Uh, Why would he shave his head? Why would he take the time to be shaving his head? Well, I mean, I think the hair follicles potentially. Um, but uh, but what about the was the scratch like from a straight edge razor? Would did they think, or was it like a like a uneven uh, you know fingernail scratch or something like that? She didn't get that close a look. Okay, but she did see scratch marks on his head. Okay, and I have not ever seen scratch marks even after being around him for years. I mean, I've known the kid for probably ten, twelve years. Yeah. And he's always had a bald head. And I've never seen him where he's had a razor razor cut. Tana had noted that his scalp had been scratched. Danielle is um, Danielle's a fighter. She was very strong in her legs. Uh, I can remember as a child, that was one thing. If you got her on the ground, you, you might as well give up. Because she, she, her legs were really strong. And that was one of her defenses. She wouldn't have gone very quietly at all. She would have fought him big time but dana said that they went into her bathroom and her her bedroom and her bathroom uh, or the closet to her bedroom uh was in the bathroom area it was a big open area all of danielle's cosmetics all of her toiletries were still in her bathroom dana said when they went into her closet when she checked her closet all of her clothes were on the floor in a big pile which is unusual right so it's either someone frantically packing up or someone frantically trying to make it look like someone was packing up. What about searches and uh, law enforcement's investigation? What has been done? He did not want to report her missing because of the or he was being charged with CPS for the and for the uh, alleged abuse the of the yeah. the two um, the older, older children two. that the weren't his. Two. Yeah. Okay. And he felt that that would hurt his case. He was more concerned about that hurting his case. So he didn't want to report, or he told Chuck and Tam, uh, that he didn't want to report her missing. And my daughter and husband told him, if you don't report her, you don't call, I will. You know, we'll call. That's, that's such a silly thing to say. I'm, I don't want to report her missing. Like, So what's the other alternative? Exactly. They did call. Well, when again, when he got the police out there, when they showed up, he started in about talking about Danielle's instability. And started saying that she was diagnosed as bipolar. Yep. And my daughter stopped him right then and there and said, where are you getting that? And she, he told her, he said, well, your mom. And then Tana told him, my mother has never had her diagnosis bipolar. And I haven't. I, like I said, she had attention deficit. But that was when I had her uh, looked checked back when she was in kindergarten. He said that to her sister, your daughter, that you had gotten her diagnosed as bipolar. Yes, that I had taken her to the doctor and she'd been diagnosed. As bipolar, but but you didn't bother to tell your other daughter, her sister, that Danielle is bipolar. No, I didn't. That's that's incredible. I know. And the thing is, though, I've never had Danielle tested or, or diagnosed as having bipolar ever in that child's life. Have I ever had that? She has never been diagnosed and told that she was bipolar. That would have been the first thing she would have told me. And this is all happening during the conversation when he is acting really nervous and not comfortable around your your daughter. And And the police. Oh, and the police. Oh, and the police were there. Yeah. The the officer, the sheriff that that showed up out there. They ended up, my Tana got really upset because of the things that he was saying. And they finally ended up calling the supervisor out there. He took Chuck and Tana outside and started talking to him. And my, both of them kept telling him, 
something's wrong here. This is not right. Something's wrong here. And the other, the first officer that showed up was really attentive to, to Austin and, and really focused on him. And Tanner kept telling this guy, this is not right. So that's how the sheriff got, the uh, supervisor got called out. And he took them outside to talk, Chuck and Tanner outside. And they were telling him that, that what Austin's saying doesn't match up and something's wrong. So they ended up taking the report. Well, Austin would not write the report out. He would not put it on paper. Which was the official statement from him saying that she was missing. Yes. My daughter had to write it out. To get the report on record, Tana wrote it out with his words. This was in front of the police? Yes. Did the police question you about this? Obviously about the last time you saw Danielle and about Austin's behavior? They never officially came to me. I went to them. Okay. I went to them and sat down and talked to them. Okay. So they got my my statement, not officially got my statement, but so they had taken that information from Chuck and Tana and from Austin, you know, his statement, what, uh, where she was or what, when he last saw her. They never charged him or never documented him as being a person of interest. They've always had her flagged as being missing. They never officially marked him on the books. Right. He lawyered up right, up, right then and there, he lawyered up. But he hasn't been um, ruled out as a suspect either. Uh, they don't have him as a suspect. Well, because she's only listed as a missing person. Exactly. And there's no evidence, direct evidence stating otherwise. Yeah. I don't think they can officially say. Yeah, it's kind of uh, difficult, I think, for them to officially call him a suspect. But the fact that he hasn't been ruled out officially tells me something. And then I'm reading here on the Charlie Project site that it says authorities said uh, several other people were suspects as well. Do you think that is other folks you don't know of? I have a good understanding where they where that comes from because they are looking at another possibility, another person oh. that you know, and but that's never been officially said. Yep. To me. Okay. I've got an idea who they are because I that person would not have been the one. Okay. The person she was last seen with Austin. She was not seen after Austin. Uh his behavior, his demeanor, all of that after she went missing. Uh, he never went on any searches, official search. We had uh, Texas EquiSearch come out, and that was about two weeks after. They wouldn't come before then until the police gave their green light. We had a huge search uh, out in the area that she was living in through their research group. We also called out class kids. They came out uh, about not quite 12 months later. We did a huge search with them with cadaver dogs. Oh, great. Yeah. So we've had numerous searches, independent searches of our own. Magnolia is a countryside area with a lot of open land and a lot of brush, huge amounts of brush throughout that properties out there. I spent three days watching a tape that the department got from a store supposedly she was seen at and I spent three days going through three days worth of viewing to see if her coming and going and then people coming and going from the store we sent out over 5,000 flyers for the surrounding areas that she lived in we had family and friends sitting down and putting these flyers together taking them to all the post offices around the area and sending them out to homes and the places that property owned out there because there was no way we could search at all so we asked people to search their property their buildings everything he never went on any of the searches that we did we had groups of searches every weekend we would have people come out and meet us in in groups and search other properties that would allow us out on it i went chuck and i went to megan and charles and sat and talked to them for about two or three hours just understanding what happened the day that the last day they saw her, we've talked to people that, you know, we've had a lot of mediums and a lot of psychics, you know, yep. people call you up all over the place. So oh, yeah. we took those, we took that serious, you know, whether I believed it or not, I still, we followed through on it. Mm-hmm. You know, we had people calling us and saying that they saw her, you know, the police and we checked all of that out. The police checked all that out. Uh, at the time they were, you know, they would send us stuff. They would, People would send clothes and shoes and, you know, things that, that they found, and we'd look at it and say whether it was hers or not. They had sent pictures of people, snapshots of people, 
that to they'd send it to us and we'd verify that it wasn't her. So none of the clothes that anyone sent uh, ever turned out to be Danielle's, and uh, the video that you spent three days watching, you never saw Danielle on that. Nope. And was there any activity on her on her cell phone? Was there anything like any cell phone pings in the area? They had to give her phone number to Austin did. That is, they be in Austin. Okay. They got her cell phone numbers. Let's see. This was on Tuesday, the following Tuesday. There was one ping over close to her house, but. Come to find out, the numbers had been transposed. So they, the numbers they had for her were his numbers, and the numbers for him were her numbers. So he gave them his phone number? Yes, By for her. accident? Could be accidental. I don't know if they transposed it, you know, if they broke yeah. it down wrong or how. But right. what number they had, they were calling. One, one ping was on Tuesday. But you don't know about Danielle's phone, or, uh, or there was none, or... There were none. And that's the other thing. Her phones were charged. So it sounds like someone broke it or it was turned off on purpose, not because it ran out of battery. So if anyone has any information on Danielle's whereabouts or the circumstances surrounding her disappearance, where would you like them to reach out to? I would like them to call the Montgomery County Crime Stoppers. I really would like them to reach out to the Crime Stoppers because they do answer that very quickly from my understanding. I'm concerned, though, that they their follow-ups. That's the biggest thing that I've been concerned over. They want to reach out to me. I don't have a problem reaching out to me, and we can connect them with the Montgomery County. Okay. I am all for whatever anybody can help us with, you know, searching or any uh, assistance that they can give us for Danielle would be very much accepted. We did get uh, help with the Texas missing persons. They put a billboard up for this month all throughout Texas. They're digital billboards. Oh, very good. Yes, it's Texas Center for the Missing, and her billboards are all over the place, electronic, all over Texas. And it'll just have missing Danielle Sleeper, Danielle Marie Sleeper, Magnolia, Texas, and the phone number to Montgomery County Crime Stoppers. And the phone number is 1-800-392-STOP, which is 7867. Or you can go to the website MontgomeryCountyCrimeStoppers.org. Yes. Or if you're not comfortable doing that, you can email us at crawlspacepodcast at gmail.com, and that information will go to the uh, most appropriate location. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for joining us here today, Dinah. Um, we definitely look forward to uh, to speaking with you again and uh, keeping this going and uh, really perplexing. We want to try to um, dive a little bit deeper into this. Thank you both for taking the time. Thank you for being so strong. It's been, like I said, Friday makes four years, and uh, we just want to find our daughter.